0: Welcome back to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast, where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve patient outcomes. Um, my name's Luke Periton, and just like last week, I'm joined by MMRU member and researcher and PhD student, Pat Valence.
1: Pat, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Luke. I'm, I'm, I'm still well, uh, uh, after surviving the last um, chat we had. That was so, good. No, I'm, I'm well, thank you. No, it's great. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. I was
0: really, um, really grateful for the chat. So on the last episode, if you haven't heard that, it's probably worth going back and having a listen to. um, Pat, who was at the Sports Medicine Australia conference recently here in Australia, gave us a really nice summary of some of the keynotes and some of the workshops and um, individual paper presentations that he heard at that conference. So what we thought we'd do now is go through um, a bit of a summary of Pat's research that he presented at the conference and – ask you some questions we can get into the weeds a little bit more about what you're doing in your phd and what you presented at the conference because i found it well i find it very interesting and i'm sure others will as well
1: no that that sounds great luke
0: so let's go um let's talk about the sma conference quickly i know we've given it a little bit of a um a summary in the last episode so just, just so people are aware what we're talking about. So this is the Sports Medicine, Medicine Australia National Conference, a multidisciplinary conference. It was in the Gold Coast, which is in Queensland, um, you know, warmer climate in Australia. Yeah, 30,
1: 30 degrees, I believe it was every day. Back oh. to Melbourne now where it's, what, 15?
0: Yeah, I was stuck in Melbourne taking care of business. My lovely wife was up there presenting her PhD research and as were many members of her research group over at Larsum, so the La Trobe Sports and Exercise Medicine Group. And and we had three representatives from MMRU, so yourself and Joel and Sunam, and we talked about them in the last episode, presenting research. It was a really good face-to-face conference. Because if you're if you're in a place that didn't experience as many lockdowns as Melbourne, Australia did over the last couple of years, good luck to you. But we had months and months of lockdowns and a lot of conferences went online. And it was um, a bit of a loss to those PhD students who were trying to meet people and engage with people and um, present their research. So it all came rushing back. It's
1: really good. It did. It was great. It was great to attend. Really enjoyed it. Let's
0: talk about what you presented there. Um, What was your presentation on?
1: Yeah, so I I I was fortunate enough to present um two separate works one as part of a a symposium along with brooke coombs dr brooke coombs from griffith university and uh dr Viana vivan from uh from i believe she's the university of queensland and a few of brooke's um, honor students and we presented uh on i presented on an investigation a study of mine that i've now published uh, last year where we investigated pain mechanisms in insertional achilles tendinopathy um so we we investigated using that uh, that really well known paradigm that pain inhibits pain condition pain modulation paradigm. So I presented that work and I, I used that as a example actually to explore some of the variability in response that we saw in our tendinopathy group, but also in our healthy control group. So we could try to pick apart. Um, yeah, you know, we're seeing some people are getting this great pain relief effect with. In response to our painful stimuli, some are getting no improvement, some are getting worse in both groups. So I explored that a little bit, which was fun. And then my um, second presentation, that was a, a podium presentation, so just a, an isolated presentation of my my work where I'm investigating uh the motor cortex and corticospinal tract. Um, so function of these these um, central nervous system tracts and their role in net motor function in patellar tendonopathy. So um, how does the, the motor cortex function? Is it firing things up or turning them down and then you go down a level to the spinal level? And we looked at that and then we looked at the periphery. So we've got this really nice protocol, I believe. I'm, I'm biased, but I believe it's a really nice protocol where we're picking apart that, that corticospinal tract and seeing what might be different in people with patellar tendinopathy compared to healthy controls
0: brilliant let's let's pick out a, a few of the key terms and define them for the audience so corticospinal tract
1: yeah so i think if you you want to do any movement uh anywhere in the body you've it's going to be the tract that carries that message down from the brain to the to the muscle to switch it on essentially so it goes from brain um to spinal cord then we hear synapse onto a, a peripheral nerve carries that message to the muscle muscle switches on ideally now at any of those levels so in the motor cortex or we'd call that intracortically there's going to be both facilitatory, so ramping up or inhibitory turning down uh, function and then you go down a level and the spinal cord the same thing's happening there so you're going to have a, a process switching things up or turning them down you go down a level again and at the peripheral nerve you've got the same thing happen. Um, so really our protocol, what we did is we got a snapshot of the the full corticospinal tract. So you say go muscle responds. what's happening overall, but then we're picking it apart. So we're looking at the various bits that add up to the whole. So yeah, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite a a, a nice um, way to approach it. And what, what are the methods you're using to do that, to measure those responses? Yeah, so we're using uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So it's a, a technique that, or a, a technology, I should say, that's been used. It's been used for decades, thirty odd years now, and it's a safe and non-invasive. The way I describe this to my um, participants as I recruit them is, uh, it uses the same technology as as MRI actually, but it's a, a electromagnetic pulse. So I, I have a device that it's about the size of a TV remote. I hold it over the top of your your head, over the hair. I click, a signal magnetic pulse zooms around it, and due to some complex physics, it depolarizes the area under it, so there's an electric pulse underneath it, and that area that's underneath it is within the motor cortex. So you stimulate the motor cortex. Now, if we get the right area of the motor cortex, we can target specific muscles. So I'm clicking over the top of the hair, your quad muscles switching on, and we can look at based on the amount of magnetic pulse I use. and how much of a response we get the muscle, we can pick apart how excitable that muscle is. So how much facilitation there is throughout that tract, but then we can apply it using um, uh, what we call paired pulse. So we stimulate and then we stimulate in quick succession. So two TMS pulses and allows us to access the the activity just within the motor cortex. So we can see what the the function is like within the motor cortex uh, specifically and then for the spinal cord measure we've got this quite a novel technique actually but we're using electrical stimulation so got these electrodes we stick on the lumbar spine and um we're we're stimulating the lumbar spine and again measuring at the at the quad muscle quadriceps muscle the rectus femoris muscle if we're being specific and we can look at the the net excitability at that level and then finally we measure at the um at the peripheral nerve, at the femoral nerve, which innervates that quads muscle, so I stimulate that muscle with electrical stimulation, a super maximal electrical stimulation. So really big, it's a bit of a bit of a kick, and um, we uh, can switch on all the motor units within that motor neuron pool. So we can switch on the entire muscle, and we can measure what the maximal activity at that muscle can be. So you've got someone seated, supported, and you're measuring
0: the force generated from their knee extensors. At the same time. Yes. Yep. Yes. With yeah. The, yeah. with a load yeah. cell, yep. Yeah. And that's, that's
1: it's important to, to note. So uh with the TMS, uh that's that's an active task. So we get them doing it's around 20% of their max are contracting because it helps to um helps to engage that muscle. It helps to sort of helps us locate the right area of the brain to to stimulate. Um, whereas for the the lumbar task and the peripheral nerve task, that's why they're resting. One final thing we assess, which I, I find fascinating. Um, it's a technique called or a protocol called voluntary activation, where you have them sitting down in the chair, their knees flex to 60 degrees and they're, they're doing a maximum voluntary isometric contraction. So they're trying to straighten that knee against a, a load cell as much as they can. They're not getting anywhere, but we see them get up to their peaks So their max strength, and then we, we. Uh, zap them, probably poor framing, but we zap them with our electrical stimulation and we see if there's any increase in uh, in force. And that would indicate if there is an increase in force, despite them already trying to do their max, that they can't fully access their, their quadricep muscle to evoke the, the maximum force. So um, there's a, a level So is it really of,
0: important there, your instructions and your explanation and your your briefing of the patient that they are trying to achieve maximum force? as so they tell us what goes into your your briefing and your protocol to try to
1: get that maximum voluntary force before you then um yeah so stimulate. importantly but by this stage they've they've done quite a few practices we get the max at the start of the session and this is a little bit further through the protocol uh the the encouragement is very high, uh, high octane, I'd I'd say. So uh, they're sitting in the chair. I've briefed them, the hands across the front. I'm saying, okay, here's your target. You need to get here at least. If not better, I want want you to push as hard as you can. I want to get everything you've got. Strong verbal feedback, visual
0: feedback, and then buy-in from the person, understanding that the experiment hinges on them, giving a maximum effort. This is an absolutely. expectation effect there as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm watching the live force feed. So we've got the the force being displayed on a, a computer. So I'm watching the curve and I'm seeing it go up and I'm waiting for it to plateau at the very peak and, um, and I've got an indication of what their maximum strength should be based on the prior testing, the testing we do at the start of the whole process. Um, and when it's at the top, we, we, um, hit them with that electrical stimulation and see if it improves further.
0: I hope you're putting um due to some complex physics into your thesis somewhere when you write the thing up. What you said earlier when you're explaining how the uh explaining the motor cortex and stimulation of the motor cortex. That's very yeah, good.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so so quite a lot of work went into this protocol. So you've got multiple sites of stimulation of the nervous system, the corticospinal tract and um and then how how is your research improving or building on previous research?
1: Yep, yep. That's a, that's a good good um good discussion point. So, and and I highlighted this at SMA when I was I was talking through the background to the project. Uh, we we do know that there, or well, based on previous work, we know that there is a, a reduction in this voluntary activation in people with patellar tendonopathy. So we know that they can't fully access maximum force in the extension compared to a a healthy comparison someone without this condition uh, but there has only been one investigation previously for the central the, the motor central nervous system uh, features in patella tendonopathy. that might be able to explain why this is the case so um, it was a work back in 2016 um, ebony rio and, and her, her lab and they investigated Uh, corticospinal excitability so use that single pulse of TMS so they looked at they stimulated over the motor cortex and they measured at the quad and really important work and they found that um, excitation was switched up so across that corticospinal tract something was contributing to there being more activity so or more activity earlier so it was these people are hyper excitable across their corticospinal tract but that doesn't give us insight for where is switched up. It could be the motor cortex. It could be the spinal cord. It could be the peripheral nerve. We also don't know as a flip side to that where the, uh, where inhibition might be turned up. So knowing that from the motor cortex all the way down to the muscle, you've got competing messages, we'll call it. So you've got facilitation and you've got inhibition. So motor cortex, you've got a level of facilitation, a level of inhibition and there's a net balance between the two as you work your way down at the periphery at the muscle it's a net the net balance results in the uh the output so if you've got more excitation than inhibition you're going to recruit more of that muscle um and that, that original work while important didn't identify anything beyond the fact that we know across its length something switched up our work's going to go a long way to picking apart the whole corticospinal tract, so we can understand the interaction between these two competing messages throughout the length. Um, and and we know in other persistent pain populations uh, that there are different uh, signatures. We'll call it a signature where, say, um, motor uh, intracortical or cortical facilitation might be switched up, and then at the spinal cord inhibition might be switched up to so try to achieve this level of balance and homeostasis. So yes, it's it's fascinating. And we just, through that previous work, we didn't have that insight. Whereas hopefully through our work, we're gaining a greater insight for what's happening across its length, the the corticospinal tract.
0: Yeah. Great. So why is it so important and what are the practical applications? And you mentioned not just for people with patellar tendinopathy, but potentially for people with other pain presentations.
1: Yeah, I think it will speak to the limitations to the work that it probably would have to be condition specific. Uh, we know that there are different signatures depending on you know, the, the condition. We know that um, you know, someone with, say, patellofemoral pain might present differently to of knee osteoarthritis, the way that these signatures take take shape. So um, my work will be specific to patella tendonopathy. But the really notable thing is a, an approach like this, we, we're we calling it in our lab a, a segmentalized approach, but that pick-apart approach that hasn't really been done or not not very well in um in in so those musculoskeletal condition type populations so through this work other labs and hopefully a bit more in our own will will be able to investigate other conditions um and and in terms of what the the importance to the condition of patellar tendonopathy, it is, uh, is in itself is we're going to have a much better understanding for What's happening in these people? We we know that the outcomes are really poor in uh, in rehab with people in people with patellar tendinopathy. Something like sixty to seventy percent improve, which leaves forty to thirty percent that don't. Which is yeah, that's, that's rubbish. That's 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 uh, we're not being successful enough, and that's despite a lot of hard work from a lot of research groups to try to improve these people. So there's a there's a mis- missing piece of information there. Uh, so if we're understanding the drive from the motor cortex down, it might be that down the track, and this is the the five, 10 year question, you know, where to after the PhD, um, we might be able to devise more targeted intervention potentially, yeah, you know, based on what we're finding. We know that um, there has been a there's been some discussion around what we call tendon neuroplastic training um, to try to tackle the the alterations or aberrations, I'll, I'll use that quote unquote, um, uh, to, to function across this corticospinal tract. Uh, but it's, it's unfortunately not based on a whole heap of evidence for what's actually happening. And it might be at the cortical level, there's nothing different, or it might be that there is a hit going on that we should be targeting, uh, by making exercise more akin to a, a motor learning task, whether you, you do evoke a neuroplastic change. So yeah, that's really interesting. There. Yeah. yeah Is, are there yeah. any
0: clinical correlates of any of the more advanced neuromuscular measures that you've been getting? For example, if someone had knee extensor muscle inhibition and you could measure all of that using all the similar techniques that you've used, say after ACL reconstruction or ACL injury, there's a characteristic shape of their torque and time curve on the isokinetic dynamometry. You can see, and this person, despite 100% effort, is not getting full activation of that muscle, so it'd be a clinical correlate, and that might may even correlate with their function and their um, p- potentially for their future risk of osteoarthritis um, in the tendinopathy space. Or in your research, are, are there any clinical correlates? So we're not that far along. But like what is the pr- yeah. clinical profile of somebody who potentially has this these changes, this signature of altered
1: yeah.
0: um, neuromuscular yeah, profile? The-
1: it is a it's a touch early but we're starting to get some insight and um the, the final study of my phd which we've got the data for which is really exciting but just going to learn how to analyze it because it's sort of brain imaging in the like. We we should have some some information on motor control in people with patellar tendinopathy and that's the interesting thing so um based on our work while it is preliminary that the tms the motor cortex function and so on that we spoke about um it's quite, Possible and likely that these people have an increase to corticospinal excitability, but also corticospinal inhibition and specifically intracortical inhibition. So there's these competing interests. So these people, and this is to borrow a description that's been used by um, by, by Ebony Rio previously. Uh, these people, they're going to be much like a, a novice Formula 1 driver where an experienced Formula 1 driver, they, they can go really quick up the straight but they can also slow down and control the, the speed to tackle the curve here and there and then speed back up. So it's, it's not just the going, it's the modulating and controlling. Whereas these people with patella tendinopathy and, and this is just um, speaking from what we have so far, they're going to be more like that novice driver where they'll be able to go really quick. They've got excitation, they can go quick, uh, but they're probably going to be rubbish at the, the corners. The motor control is going to be the feature that, that might be altered. Um, this is speaking before, Yeah, you know, this might be, um, going, yeah, putting the cart before the, the horse. Well, I've done bit. my
0: best to mislead you and try to get you to, um, <laughs> to, uh, put the cart before the horse here. And I've been asking you all sorts of questions about clinical implications that, you know, we well, are at your area of, in the continuum re- of research mm. here is you're in that more of that basic science end and you're trying to look, understand yeah. proof of concept and understand mechanisms. Um, but we're we're just interested in where it might end up in the future, yeah. and potentially well, with um, with targeted interventions and
1: yeah, and that's that's probably I would say and and hopefully the by this stage yeah I'm I'm not too small a fish for the MMRU podcast because I'm sure it'll, it'll blow up by that stage. Um, but ask me five years from now, and we've got some big plans uh, for what to look at next, and I, it's just it's, it's, we're scraping the surface, and I've got some 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 work we want to do in our in our lab uh, in the mmru as well where we want to explore some some areas and how we can potentially target certain things so there'll be a clinical link but we're probably just that step removed at the moment um yeah. in our understanding yeah
0: but this the part of this science communication we're doing here is to have the broader aim of educating people about how research is conducted as well and also maybe um pique their interest for getting involved in some way, one way or the other, in their own research career or getting involved in research projects, but um, a discussion behind the scenes discussion about how things are done Absolutely. is um, is part of what we're doing here. Uh, t- so, just finally, um, you, you touched on the brain imaging, the final part of your PhD. So, yeah, what sort yeah. of imaging? What are you what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so we, oh, we were very fortunate um, to get a little bit of funding, and and I'll credit um, Dr. Ash Fraser uh, and. Um, her yeah, work to to attain that, uh, where we've uh, been doing some some MRI investigation and, and specifically functional MRI um, work, where we're investigating brain function in people with patellar tendinopathy. and we've got the data and I need to process it. But what we do, so this fMRI, the way I explain it to people is, um, it's very much based on brain metabolism. So we get people in this MRI tunnel, and they're doing a a knee knee extension motor control task. so The quad muscle is switching on. Now, the area in the brain that's switching on the quad, it's working hard. It needs oxygen uh, for metabolism. So it's gonna be a flood of oxygen-rich blood to that area of the brain. Uh, and, and on the, the imaging, we can pick apart you know, where the blood flow is going. And based on where that blood flow is going, we can see that area of the motor cortex light up and bang, so there we go. That's most likely the area of the brain responsible for quads activity. So we're looking at that. And the interesting thing is there was a a work in 20, I want to say 2016 as well. So a lot of nice research happening in 2016 um, by Camille Shanahan, um, Michael Farrell, and a a few of that group where they looked at um, the same thing in people with knee osteoarthritis and compared it to healthy controls. And they found within the motor cortex, the area that switched on was slightly altered in the knee osteoarthritis group compared to healthy people so shifted forwards i believe by about 15 millimeter and they ran a correlation so you can actually with the the task you can look at performance and how accurate they are with the task so if they've got good motor control or not and the further this area was shifted forwards the worse their motor control was so there's some links there it's not just we're looking at this slab measure but there's a, a link to the function then which is fascinating so we'll have similar data so we'll look at if this area shifted but also is it then linked to functional performance to motor control mm. so ultimately the aim
0: is to improve patient outcomes so um, it's 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 important though to understand mechanisms and understand what is happening in the human body before we can then develop interventions and and then um, ultimately improve things for people. But as you Absolutely. said, like 30 40% of people um, aren't improving with patellar tendinopathy.
1: Mm, so there's, yeah. there's a real there's reason a to be,
0: be re- researching this area. So Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think the important thing is if we look at the next step of uh, translation into say, uh, clinical trials and what and whatnot, we're shaping our clinical trials based on the current base evidence that we have for mechanisms and only recently there's been some discussions for it in the Twitterverse and so on, where it seems to be that we're, we're leaning on this conclusion that there's not any central nervous system alterations. There is no, none of this um, neuroplastic contribution to symptoms. So through our work, if we are finding that there is, in fact, some alterations at the you know, in the motor cortex or in, in terms of its function, that's going to shape the resulting interventions at a trial. So that then could have a flow and effect to outcomes for people with this condition. So I think it's important base work that we build on. Yeah, great, and really good context
0: for all of us to sort of understand what you're doing. And what you did well there was communicate the um, the complex aspects in plain language, without shying away from the details. So it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I've I've had plenty of practice with that. You should have, the first few efforts were not so flash hot. You could, you could imagine the first few participants tolerated my um, explanation as well. Yeah.
0: That's the thing with when you're working with people yeah, and students, participants in research projects, patients, you have to be able to explain things on their terms. So I thought that was really good. Um, let's leave it there, Pat. Should we acknowledge your supervisors and collaborators in your project since you've been talking about all this? So we've got Associate Absolutely. Professor Dawson Kijuel, Yep. Professor Pete Maliaris, from MMRU and Monash, both from Monash Physio. Who else is involved?
1: Yes, yeah, so we've also got as an external supervisor Professor Bill Vicinseno from That's University right. of Queensland. So he's been um, a great, great member of the team as well. Uh, and and then we also have a few people that have collaborated with us. So I mentioned Dr. Ash Fraser, who's been been huge actually for the the imaging trial, but also the TMS trial. And Professor Adil Razi, also from Monash, who's helping us out with the the brain imaging trial. So um, it takes a team, doesn't it? Mm. And look,
0: and this acknowledgement's to you for all the work you've done within our research group behind the scenes for this podcast and for all the many meetings we have, and been really the the mortar between the bricks many times, keeping the group together. So Uh, you know, well done on your presentation the conference. And your PhD is really impressive. So, it won't be the last time we talk about this stuff. But a really good opportunity to after the conference, while it's all fresh in your head, to, to, to get into the weeds a bit more about your methods and all everything you've been working on. So, thanks very much, Pat. No, no, thank
1: you. You're always, I'm um, I'm always uh, happy to talk through my projects. My um my poor poor family they don't, they don't want to hear any more about it. So it's good to talk about it.
0: That's right. Lock yourself in the room and go on the podcast and talk about it to me. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we really do hope you're enjoying the content we're putting out here. Um, please let us know, get in contact. Um, you can contact us via Twitter DM or at Monash MRU, or you can find our contact details online um, and share the episode, leave a comment, engage. We really like to hear from you. So we'll keep putting out content um, as much as we can within our research group. And um, if you want to be a part of the conversation, just ask and come on and have a chat yourself um that's it anything else to add Pat
1: no no just um yeah thank you for letting me chat about my projects and and if there are, are questions or if you're wanting to collaborate or anything like that it's a uh, we've got a, a small but growing community of um call, call ourselves the so the the physiotherapy musculoskeletal type um yeah, brain brain-based central nervous system researchers uh, it'd be great to link up so um Yes, shoot, shoot me a, a message on Twitter or um, email and I'd love to link up. That'd be mm-hmm. great. Yeah, definitely not a
0: physio-only, physio-focused group, exercise science, physio, um, neuroscience. It's, it's not about the profession Musk you pain. did 20 years ago in university. It's about um, your interests and so definitely follow up. Pat's not scary. Give him an email. You'll no, talk a, your ear off. I'm a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. Really good to have you engaged and listening to the podcast. Thanks for making it so far into it. And i um, looking forward to hearing from you. So until next time, this is Luke Perriton, Pat Valance, wishing you all the very best with your musculoskeletal research and your clinical practice.